0: Are you ready to increase your rating in disc golf? In today's episode, we sit down with Seth Gonzalez, who teaches us what some of the most important factors are in increasing your rating. He shares with us his journey, how less than three years ago, he was coming into disc golf as a complete newbie, someone who didn't have a rating and really early on found out just how difficult disc golf can be. Seth teaches us how he has been able to improve his rating and become a top contender in tournaments and how he is vying for wins and improving his disc golf game every single day. He shares with us some of his knowledge, tips, and tricks on how you can do the same. Let's learn from Seth right now.
1: My name is Seth Gonzalez, and you're listening to The Chain Clankers Podcast.
0: Alrighty everyone, welcome into the Chain Clankers Disc Golf Podcast presented by Upper Park Disc Golf. We've got another fantastic guest on today's show and if you're looking for a fantastic disc golf bag, make sure you check out our friends at Upper Park Disc Golf and you can save 10% using our promo code CLANKERS10 and get the best quality bag in the game I cannot say enough good things about Upper Park. I know Trenton feels the exact same way. So we've got some awesome YouTube videos. Check them out if you haven't already. But let's talk a little bit about our guest. Seth Gonzalez today is a local Wichita player, has had a fantastic season with multiple podiums, breaking through for a win this year at the Rumble at Riggs. Seth, how are we doing tonight, man?
1: Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get uh, talking a little bit of disc golf.
2: Heck yeah, man. Can't wait to uh, get the show rolling. And uh, we've played, I don't even know how many rounds together, whether it's kind of casual or at tournaments, but you always seem to win <laughs> at some point.
0: So definitely looking forward to getting this conversation going. Thanks All for right, coming man, on. man. I
1: appreciate it, guys.
0: Yeah, you know, Seth, in my opinion, you've gone from somebody who's a a good disc golfer to somebody who at every tournament has an opportunity to win. And I feel like that's got to just feel absolutely amazing, having that kind of confidence. So before we get into all that and kind of teach everybody how you can get that confidence also and start playing good, getting podiums in tournaments and turning your game around, let's start all the way at the very beginning. How did you first find out about disc golf?
1: Man, so... I moved into the Riverside neighborhood and I've drove through the park multiple times and I'm out, I'm out there and I'm seeing people, people playing disc golf and didn't really know a whole lot about it. And it was just like, Hmm, I wonder what that's about. I wonder if I'd be interested in it. Uh, Christmas came around that next year and I got a little whammo three pack starter set as a stocking stuffer. And back then, I didn't really know that playing in cold weather was a thing. And, you know, Christmas, it's cold. So, you know, I waited two or three months till it heated up. And um, first time out there at uh, Oak Park, hole 15. Smoked the big pine tree on the right, right off the tee box, off the red tee. So I had a long throw to get to the second pin placement. And, man, I smashed the chains, and I've been hooked ever since. So... Um, it didn't take long for me to kind of get the, the feeling for it. I thought I was getting better practicing on my own. So there I go. I signed up for my first tournament. And the first tournament that I signed up for was the Roundup. So it's the very towards the very end of the year for all the guys that have been playing tournaments all year. And little did I know, um, I probably shouldn't have signed up for Advanced, but I did. And then I realized that that was a mistake the night before the tournament. And so I called up Duck over at uh, over at Ducks and he switched me down to intermediate, um, which changed my division. But that didn't change who I was playing with the next day. And so the next day I show up to my very first tournament and standing at the tee box for my card is Nick Clinda, Tanner Kennedy and A.J. Dunmire. Wow. Boy, did I get... <laughs> worked that day i was humbled be all means um and i just knew after that it was going to take a lot of practice to get to where those guys were so um that i did i practiced and practiced and practiced um practiced through the winter that year um that was something to get used to not not used to being out in the snow playing but hey um i think that all paid off because the next year when i came around didn't start off so hot but i was able to finish my last tournament of the year my last round of the year with a 1000 rated round over there at oak in the uh, in the championship finals so um that was pretty interesting and pretty excited it one of those things where your forehand's working your backhand's working your putts seems to be going where it needs to go and and um, and uh I was able to take second um, because I had to get some work to get back into that position from where I, where I was after the first round. Um, but then, you know, along with all this stuff, you have all those league events. And so I was doing a lot of league events um, and uh, making a lot of connections, making a lot of new friends, including you guys over there. Um, that's when we first started yeah. running into you guys. Um and then from there, moved on to the second season. And for, for some reason, between the first year and the second year, that's when everything started clicking for me. I, consistency was there. If there was any part of my game that needed work this last year, it was my putting. My goodness. I I think my putting is what kept me off the top spot in the podium for five or six of those events. Um uh, and It was just one tournament after another. I felt like, man, dude, that putting just got to improve. So, end up getting a, a a portable basket that I have now at the house and do a lot of practicing. So, um, you know, twenty twenty three is around the corner, and I can't wait to get back after it. So,
2: heck, yeah, man. Neither can I. And I remember the first time we played together. And I, you said it was about a year or so after you had start playing. Sound like you already had a thousand rated round. And all I could say when I first played with you is you could freaking crush, but I will agree with you. The putt was 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 <laughs> the weak spot. So that's that's awesome, man, to know to know what you what your what your weaknesses and focus on it, it's great. But I want to take a little bit of a step back. I want to go back to that first round with Tanner Kennedy and Nick Clinda and all them boys that you played with. What what was it about their game and the advanced, like for no everyone who doesn't know, these guys can crush. They're they're probably towards the top of advanced uh i don't know for sure i'm not an advanced yeah. player but well
1: aj aj is top, top of the pro now these days he's he's up there right. in in the pro division um kicking ass and taking and tanner but... tanner's in the pro division too
2: right okay that's right i didn't know for sure any point being what was the like what was the, what was it that you saw in their game and the things that they were doing that really really obviously humbled you, but also inspired you sure. to want to, you know, grind it out. Man, and those guys
1: had confidence. Like you couldn't believe, um, I look like a little scared, this is a scared person out there. Just not knowing if the disc that I pulled out of my bag is the one that I should be throwing. Um, or if I should be throwing this one, should I be doing a step putt when I'm this far away? But that tournament also was unlike any other condition that I played in. Um, so prior to that, I was playing when there was barely any wind, when it wasn't raining outside, when it's not snowing, you know, stuff like that. Um, I believe the wind conditions were 30 plus that day. And so all the normal stuff was not normal. Um, discs mm-hmm. are flying all over the place. Um, and it was, uh, it was one of those things where it's just like, you know what, you got to practice in all those elements in order to to know what to do the next time you're in it. So, um, but man, those guys, those guys were just consistent as can get. Um, uh, You know, I believe, I believe AJ was the one um, that I saw that was throwing pretty good um, towards the beginning. Uh, Tanner was playing really well. You know, Nicholas Clinda can freaking crush. I mean, he can throw a disc so far. Um, But, you know, those guys are kind of, I mean, they might have not known it, but they showed me the ropes, you know? They kind of showed me what, what technique's supposed to look like and, uh, and so forth. So um, I spent a lot of my off season between that round and the next year um, trying to perfect some of those stuff that, uh, that I knew I needed to work on. You ready? Showtime.
0: Yeah, so I mean if there's two things that I'm hearing from this, it's if you want to – Play better, almost. You a need to find that consistency. That's very important. But also, you have to have a little bit of swagger on you. You know, you have to have some confidence, and and that kind of makes sense. You know, I, I think back to my own game in situations, especially early on. Maybe, of course, I haven't really played a whole lot. Not really having any confidence, and those rounds just aren't the same as when you go to a course that you know you play. Maybe you're with people you're comfortable playing around. All those different kinds of things. So I really think, if any way you can, finding that confidence out on the course is going to help you a ton. And it's also interesting. That you said that your first tournament, you know, you're sitting here with 30 mile power wins. It reminds me of the kickoff this last year when we had 30 right? some odd mile power wins. Oh my and, God. And that's, that that's a fantastic point that you bring up, right? If you are more likely to play a tournament in bad weather conditions than you are in perfect weather conditions so guys and gals out there if you're only practicing in good weather conditions you're not going to know what to do in bad weather conditions thus you won't have any confidence and you probably won't have any consistency to your shots which only will further hurt your confidence which will tumble you down the leaderboard am i right
1: that is 100 percent correct no doubt about that
0: so let's talk then a little bit about how were you able to build that consistency in your game? What things were you doing after that tournament that started to
1: kind of progress your game and you were able to see these changes? I got a net and, and I just started throwing in, into a net in the backyard. Um, I got that practice basket and was putting uh, putting up shots. Was, yeah, I had a probably like a, a three-acre lot that I could practice in, so I could get a little bit of space um, w- between me and the basket to work on all that kind of stuff, started working on those little touchy forehand up approach shots, the standstill backhand approach shots, um, the long jump putts, um, and then the putting. Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, that kind of practice in repetition is what really got me prepped for the, for the following season that was coming up.
2: So what I'm hearing is you need to get out, whether you live right, right next to a course or you have a practice basket or a net in your backyard, or you have a little bit of space to do your upshots. But the point is to get out there and get those reps, get to and know your back. Daily. Right?
1: We're talking daily, guys. Like if you have a 30 minute break before dinner's about to be ready and you don't have anything to do, don't click the TV on, get out there and practice a little bit because I mean, I tell you what, that's where that's where the the hard work pays off um, when it comes around to to playing in your next event, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how you see the separation between the golfers who are out there to have fun. They kind of want to get better. Maybe they aren't progressing how they'd like. And you see the people like yourself who go from getting their butt kicked to, hey, I'm finishing podiums very quickly into my disc golf career. And I I think that's something that everyone can take and kind of learn from. So I absolutely love that. And I know that's something that I myself have to remind myself that, you know, today's one of those days where I look at my watch, it says it's 34. It says it's really windy. It's like, man, do I have enough warm weather stuff to go out there? But the sun is shining, should probably try to find a way to go out there. I'm not sure if it's going to happen yet or not. I don't know if I've committed to it, but that it, it kind of makes me think just continuing kind of on this subject here of practicing when you can, what would you say, you know, if you only have that 30 minutes, what is the most important thing to knock out? Is it the putting? Should that be the number one before you even think about driving or form or upshots? Like what would, how would you
1: prioritize your practice? Um, In that 30 minute window, I'd go back and I'd take all my approach discs, including my putters, and I would get as far back as I could get in the three-acre lot that I had to practice in. I'd throw all of them up maybe once, maybe twice, and then after that I'd take my putters and I would just start putting. Um, I think people get in a habit of putting from the same spot for like five or six throws in a row. I mean, that's good, but I would put move over a little bit, putt again, scoot back a little bit, putt again. I Almost got to the point where I thought like I would do kind of how they have at Oak where they have the stepping stones that are marked and, and kind of thing just to kind of know where you are, you know, your distances before you go. Um, Never got around to that, but I mean, putting, 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 and more putting is, is all that I would do if I had that minimal time slot. Um, Now take that basket out. When I have two or three hours, I take it out to the Oak park or over by Riverside park and the wide open over there, I would set up there. And then I would just get out my practice bag and just dump all of them as close as I could, uh, to the basket. Now, every time I'd pick up on my desk, I'd always be missing a couple because the bag would seem to be a little lighter, but that, 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 that comes, and I'm sure everybody can, uh, can, uh can attest to having that same issue when you throw a bunch of discs yeah
2: I uh I definitely hear you there I don't always uh get out to a field or anywhere like like what you're doing to throw as much as I would like to but uh, definitely find myself leaving disks around so when you go to do um into your let's let's go back to the you're in the three acre lot or I guess in the field are you throwing? each disc on, like, are you throwing every disc backhand? Are you throwing every disc forehand? Like kind of what is your, what is the main goal? I know you're trying to get as close as you can to the basket, but are you ever working on like watching the disc fly or seeing how the disc Obviously
1: discs do different things. I'm not trying to make every disc do the same thing. You know, I'll uh, I'll try to throw a a nice hard turnover on on an overstable disc, you know, mid-ranges, Firebirds, Raptors. Um, stuff like that. Forces, um, hyzer flipping, the hyzer flipping, uh, driver discs are always nice to do too. Um, whether it's a, uh, um, let's say, you know, I used to be able to flip a, a trespass pretty easy, but now I flip it too much and I kind of had to take that out of my bag a little bit, but destroyers, they're great. The DD threes are great. You know, combination with the cloud breakers, um, uh, but the, what I really need to get back to and, and get ready for this year is starting to throw those understable discs with a little more touch. Instead of knowing that I need to throw an overstable disc hard to get it to turn, why don't you just throw a little bit more of an understable disc a little lighter and, uh, and watch that disc work for you instead of trying to make it do what you want it to do.
2: I think, Quentin, I just want to touch on that. I think that's a fantastic point. I throw a trespass all the time, and that is the first disc that I was able to kind of stand up. That was a little bit higher speed. And I, I would be interested to see you. I don't know if it's still in your bag or not. I know mm-hmm. I bought some from you. But I would be interested to see you take one of those babies out and do exactly what you just said. So your normal destroyer line, instead of having to flip over a destroyer, maybe you just take the trespass at 70%. Yeah. And it just, you know, who knows? But anyways, that's all I want. Yeah, no. Uh,
1: but still the, I swear the farthest disc I've thrown, it it had to be, has to be a wraith. I don't know what it is, but you throw that at a perfect angle and you don't put too much speed on it, man, that thing will turn on you and it'll stay up and it'll just keep on moving. I, I had a lot of, I had a lot of uh, success early in my career with throwing the, with throwing the wraith. Um, must say, it was a it was it was a good disc to practice with.
0: Yeah, I mean that's literally perfect. It's like you guys were reading where I wanted to go next because I wanted to discuss some of those discs that might help players as they're improving their game, as they're starting to learn how to throw a frisbee in the first place. And you know, we'll talk about your top three recommendations at the end. But maybe what were some discs that you were using in that? high growth phase of improving your game that you really could tell a difference. Like, yeah, if I throw a buzz here, I mean, I saw my game get exponentially better comparatively to when I was throwing like a Mako or w- was there anything that kind of stood out
1: to you? Sure. Um, you know, I probably say, uh, the disc that that really stood out to me was that Wraith when you're talking about a distance driver. Um, I would, like I said, I was able to kind of handle that thing a little bit, you know, with a little bit of wind in the face, you throw it with a little more hyzer on it. Um, you can get it to stand up. Obviously if you throw it flat, you're going to dump it. Um, so it's just kind of knowing what that, what that, what that touch is to get it to fly. Right. Um, but when it comes to like fairway driver stuff, man, the T-Bird three, I'll tell you what I could T-Bird three, seems to be a consistent disc that's still in my bag. Um, I've kind of moved up to the halos in those only because they're a little bit more stable than the other ones. Um, but yeah, I bagged two Halo T-Bird 3s, and they are is that what you got right there? Yeah. That's oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then yeah, the the buzzes, I tell you what. I I had a combination of probably five or six buzzes that I have. Still bag one of them, but I kind of moved into the over-stable buzz line that i'm throwing i throw more of those than i do normal buzzes
2: and on that note did you ever mess with the uh understable but like isn't it the ss is that yes the yeah mode? um
1: i have one i have a tim barnum one never thrown it though um i don't know why um i haven't thrown it maybe it's because the disc is really pretty and that's the only one that i've seen and uh i think i want to make it last a little bit longer before i start uh start throwing it around.
2: So it sounds like you've, prog- my bad. No, oh, you're cool. I said, it sounds like you've progressed from the, uh, the standard run of basically every disc you're, you're throwing to the more overstable. So the T bird three, you just upgraded to the halo. Cause everyone knows those bad boys are a little mm. bit more overstable. And if you don't know that, uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, and uh, and so, what would you say? Like, was the biggest thing to help you progress from those standard, like, run-of-the-mill disc to needing the understable or the more well, overstable stuff? When
1: you start working on on all your technique and you're starting to work on distance, um, you need to put power into that stuff. And when you start adding power to something that's a little less understable, maybe into a slight headwind you know, that's, it's just going to turn on you and it's not going to come back. So um, I started stabling up, um, you know, more throwing firebirds um, like that Raptors. uh, You know, I even got into the PDs for, from dysmania. Um, I, I tend to throw those pretty well. Now they fly pretty straight for me for the most part, but at the end, you know, they'll have that hard turn or that hard finish out to the left for sure. And then I only forehand overstable discs. Um, I don't quite have the touch, I think, to be able to throw something understable because whenever I try to throw a little power into it, I mean, it almost turns into a roller and dumps so hard. So, um, But that's just you know part of my game I know I need to work on because you see pros throw understable discs all the time and they can throw those things straight forever. And it's, it's a really pretty thing to watch and I'm, I get pretty jealous, so...
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad you bring that up because you know you I feel as though same thing like let's take like a kid watching a MLB or an NBA or NFL right and you're like wow I see them doing these things I can do those too and then maybe you try to do it and it doesn't go so well or and, and it reminds me of you look at the pros and like wow I just saw you know let's say Paige Pierce throw an Undertaker. I don't know, or a stalker 400 feet. And you're like, wow, I cannot even remotely do that. Or I'm turning it over immediately. Right. And, and really what it makes me think of it also is the wind factor being here in the middle of Kansas. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost weird when it, the wind is less than 10 miles it's per crazy. hour. Right.
1: It's almost like, what do right. I do now? Like what, what am I supposed to throw when the wind's not blowing like it is or like it normally does. Exactly. And so maybe
0: other, maybe where you guys are listening right now, you don't have that issue. Anytime it hits 10, you're like, oh gosh, I don't know how to putter throw anymore. Right. But for us, that's just, that's normalcy. That is what it always is. So I feel like we have to go more towards that overstable disc selection. You'll hear a lot of other podcasts always be like, no, you have to throw neutral discs. You have to throw understable Ooh. discs. I think it depends on where you're at because if you're facing a 15 to 25 mile per hour headwind for the entirety of your tournament round and you're always pulling something out that's understable, you're going to turn and burn your disc and get cut rollers that you don't want. So you almost have to think more about, okay, what is the wind doing here? If I have a 25 mile mile per hour headwind, I probably shouldn't throw the basic T bird three. I should probably throw the Halo T bird three so that over stability continues to help and the disc push forwards like I want it to. It, it, right? Like I'm on the right track. Yeah, here, right? man you
1: you're, you're, you're nailing it. Right. Um, I heard someone say a couple years ago talking about throwing in wind, and it really kind of breaks it down, and it makes so much sense. So, say you throw a disc 60 miles an hour when it leaves your hand, but you're thrown into a 30 mile an hour headwind, that disc is going to think it's moving 90 miles an hour. So if that has any kind of understability to it, I mean, it's going to move and it's going to move quick. It's going to dump and you're, it's not going to be able to come back. So usually what I say when it's really windy thrown into the headwind Reach in your bag and pull the beef out for sure.
2: And if you don't know what the beef means, that's the meat, <laughs> meat hook. That's or the tilt, baby. Captain's reactor. Your tilt or
1: overstable? Over yeah, that's overstable disc. Yeah.
2: Would you go higher speed overstable, or does it even matter? Just well, anything overstable.
1: I mean, and that's another thing. Like you think you're throwing into that 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 big headwind that you have to really throw it hard man, it just needs to be something nice and smooth. It doesn't need to be anything overpowering because that disc is going to be acting way different than a normal ass. Even when you pull the beef out of your bag, just a nice, consistent, smooth pull usually will work out way better than something thats um, that you're trying to overcompensate for um, with the power that you put behind it.
0: Right. And if we go back and we turn to the math segment of this podcast again, remember, this is a math disc golf podcast. Going to 60 miles per hour out of your hand plus the 30 miles for the wind. And then if you try to throw it even harder, and so now you're throwing it 69, 70 miles per hour, right? Well, you've just increased the total miles per hour that. The disc is flying, thus it's going to not be on your intended flight path again. So all of that makes absolute right. those numbers, sense to me. Hopefully does. Yeah, those flight
1: numbers mean nothing, really, when you when you when you get to that point. You just need to know you need to throw something overstable and give it a nice smooth pull and, and see what happens.
0: And so now that you've been playing for a couple years, obviously a way better than when you started. When you look at buying a new disc, what is your decision calculus? Are you looking at flight numbers? Are you just feeling it? Like what makes you pull the trigger on buying a new disc? Well, for me,
1: it's not really buying a new, different kind of a disc. It's just upgrading the disc that I already throw. Um, If there's one thing that I learned playing all these, you know, in these amateur disc golf tournaments is that you just get loaded with plastic. You got so much plastic, you don't even know what to do with it. And um, when it comes down to it, you don't really have all the time to get good at all of it. You know what I mean? Like you, you you, need to stick to what you know and then make changes maybe a little bit here and there as you're working through it. But for the most part, the same disc stay in my bag, the only thing I do is buy a new one of them. And that's about it.
2: I love love that advice. We've talked about it a few times on here in case, I mean, but it's I think it's a good point to bring up. And just for someone who might be out there, since this is a math disc golf podcast, what's a good, solid, round number for the people out there that you would
1: suggest, a good, solid number of molds you would suggest people carry in oh shoot man i don't even know if i've even thought about it that way i carry i carry typically i carry about 22 discs in my bag and that's including the putters now there's three of each okay. with most things whether it's something more stable maybe something a little less stable in the same kind of a mold um but you know i got my i got usually three to five or six drivers in my bag and then a lot of and then Not a lot, but then I get into all the Firebirds, the Raptors. Um, I carry an Undertaker, bag one of those. Um, I get into my lower speed fairways, which is the T-Bird 3s. And then from there, I go to um, my buzzes, uh, whether it's a a neutral flying buzz or the OS buzz. Um, And then it goes from there up to my approach shots, which are typically zones. I throw a lot of zones. However, I am bagging a... uh, razor claw right now Um, i'm trying to figure out how to dial that thing in i kind of feel like my zones aren't as stable as i would like so i'm trying to find something that can fly just as good but it's got that hook at the end that'll that'll get her down so is a razor claw just a tactic basically yeah yeah that's
2: it's Eagle yeah. McMahon's tactic. I going to say,
0: I got a tactic right here with your name on it if, you, if you're interested because <laughs> I, I, stopped, I stopped throwing the tactic. But, that, I mean, that makes sense, right? I think the more molds that you have in your bag, the harder, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, to have consistency and right. confidence. Because I, I imagine you've been there before. I know you've probably seen me there before in a tournament round before where you throw something immediate and immediately you're like, why did I throw that? that made no sense and and once you do that the first time oh man it's like the train is off the tracks and it's so hard to get it back on because you just find yourself questioning yourself questioning yourself questioning yourself after every single throw so if we can eliminate the amount of molds get more consistent because we've eliminated the amount of molds in theory your confidence and consistency should both be able to go up uh pretty evenly there so that makes perfect sense to me so i I, let's talk a little bit about tournament rounds right you know you someone who played in a ton of tournaments correct me if I'm wrong but I think
1: it's like what over 10 this year maybe closer to like 14 how many tournaments did you play? something like that I saw that that old Smitty posted something um, where he announced the the winners of the 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 championships point series and um, I took second and the most tournaments played tied with a couple other guys but and you know what I really didn't think about it like that um i uh i gotta say hats off to my significant other at the time um she let me do all that with very little pushback so it was easy to do um but uh but yeah played a lot of tournaments this year but it's great though um you know around wichita i see a lot of the same guys and it's cool to see a lot of the same people week in and week out um out there uh competing
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you are playing in these tournaments, last question on discs before we kind of continue to talk about tournaments. Are you packing your bag with more than 22 discs in case some of those go into the water? You know, you look at Oak. We've got multiple rivers there. You look at uh, Clap. There's some water hazards or, you know, even Heck Herman. There's a river there. Maybe you throw it into the street and it gets ran (laughs) over a couple of times. You know, are you packing the bag with more things or is it, hey, this is what I got. This is what I practice with daily. This is my
1: bag. I'm taking well, that. Well, so the bag that I use, yes, it's standard. It, nothing nothing else goes in it. Nothing goes out of it. Um, but this year I bought my first cart. And um, I might have made a mistake in getting the large cart because I was going to just throw my bag on it. But then when I went to into one of the league events over at Clap. Mama was there, and she's like, Seth, there's an insert for that cart you just bought. Um, How about I give you a break on it? Here you go. And I was like, okay, let's go. Well, to fill that bag so you don't have discs flopping around while you're pulling it, there's like 37 discs that can fit in that bag. By all means, I do not need 37 discs. bag.
2: Uh, and neither do you out there listening. You yeah. don't need 37 discs in your bag. I support that. Really, you, really. You
0: don't need it, dude. I bought the double-decker cart, and the intention was for my wife and I to share it, and she'd put her discs in the top. Mine would be in the bottom. And at that point, I still you know, felt the need to have 27 different molds in there. And so <laughs> it really became three-fourths of it was mine, and she just had the last <laughs> little fourth of it. But slowly I would start taking stuff out, give her more room, and then maybe she wasn't playing as much. So then it was like, well, I don't want anything up top because it just falls around or it falls down. It right. falls out and it just became so annoying. that I was like, I am either only using the bottom or I'm just yeah. not using this yeah. cart anymore. Thus, I used the Upper Park Rebel Bag. It's so good. <laughs> there you go.
2: Shift is also amazing. Don't forget to use Clinkers Tin to check out. Thank
0: you. <laughs> Thanks for your support, everyone. We really we really do appreciate it. I know, I know it's corny, right? I know it is corny. But uh, the support that you guys show us there really does help us uh, continue the operation that we're doing. So we do appreciate you guys on that. Trent. Also- Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom
2: Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Oh man. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into, uh, I think, I think I'm good. Well, actually I do have one quick question since we kind of talked about this season, you played 10 to four, uh, probably 14, 15 tournaments. I don't know. What are your, what are your goals? Uh, just real quick. What are your goals for next year?
1: Well, obviously I want to do, I want to get better. Um, so a lot of practice is going to be happening this off season. Um, don't know if I'll be out there doing a lot of the early, early stuff, um, in the cold weather this year. Um, I got a lot of stuff going on, but other than that though, I mean, putting in practice, that's going to be, that's going to be happening. Uh, it's, it's in the backyard right now. Uh, don't need to pull it out of the garage to to, to throw disc and do it. It's ready. Um, uh, other than that though, um, you know, I think the main part, the main, the main part of this next year is just I'm going to move up divisions. So I know that the competition is going to be getting a little higher. So, I can't expect myself to finish like I did in 2022 where I finished the season at. So I know I'm going to kind of feel like I I, I'm hitting a plateau or I'm not really doing anything. I'm kind of staying stagnant, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, practice, 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 more tournaments, more tournaments, more tournaments. We'll see what happens by the end of the year. Yeah, I really like that.
0: I feel like a lot of people don't talk about expectations. They just, you know, they listen to other pros probably on our podcast and they're like, yeah, well, you know, I played one rec tournament and then I won three MPO tournaments after that. And and I think that's a very real discussion that you're not going to overnight go from someone who is very competitive, winning events and in intermediate to now all of a sudden because you won an intermediate, that means you're going to right. win in advance. Sometimes it does no tea, no right. shade, but you know how people decide to enter tournaments. Are you really playing advanced, or are you playing right. intermediate? Yeah. You know, you no, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, how many times has the winner of rec also would have won advanced and right. intermediate? Exactly. Just throwing it out there, right? So, so I know, I know Trent and I would love to run a tournament this year, and we would like to do it where. There's no, there's two divisions, uh, three, maybe you have MPO. Uh, I can't remember what we said. The middle one was going to be called just like advanced.
2: It was just going to be amateur. Amateur.
0: Yeah. Amateur. And then novice for those who truly are here to have fun. They're not taking us here. We're talking under 800 rated, whatever, you know, learning the ropes, okay and so then the top 33% or whatever their percentage would be in amateur would cash and win so it doesn't matter if you're playing rec it doesn't matter if you're playing intermediate it doesn't matter if you're playing advanced you're just playing the course trying to get the best score you can to push ahead of all these other guys and gals i want to ask you here since you know you're local you've played with everyone here what are your thoughts on that? Would that be a simpler system for tournaments of, hey, you just sign up and you're going to see where you finish amongst everyone else and it gives you a great starting position for how and where you need to get better and then you don't have those people in
1: rec who are finishing ahead of people in NPO right. in no, I No, I think that's a good step. I think it's a good start, you know? I mean, there's those guys that are questioning, do I play rec or do I play intermediate? And they cho- they choose intermediate and then they shoot what would be second or third place overall in intermediate, and they're like, "Damn, I should have moved up." You know what I mean? So I think you guys are off to a, right. to a good start there with uh, with having that whole amateur uh, division. Um, you know, where would you guys want to have this tournament at? What do you guys? Where are you guys? Where are you guys thinking you want to you want to do this?
2: Oh man, we haven't actually talked about it in a little while. We, we had re- we had considered. If we had enough people, we would split it up between two different courses. At one point, we had talked about that. Yeah,
0: like, but it also depends on who's going sure. to sponsor it, right? Like, if we have, let's say, let's say Smitty helps us out, right, or let's say Ducks helps us out, okay, we'll probably be more likely to do it at Oak or Clap. I think the perfect place to do it would be, or at least maybe one of the most fun would be Colwich East mm. and West. And actually utilize the West course before mm-hmm. it goes away. Uh, otherwise, I think my default
1: would be... No doubt. Work. No doubt. I hear you there. Well, yeah. if you guys need any help with any of that stuff, just let me know. I'm here to grow the sport. I'm here to help it out. I'm here to get everybody involved. So if you guys need anything, let me know.
2: That would be... That is a goal of ours. It would be sweet. I think it'd be, what, like an X C tier or something like that is what it's technically called. Cause it's not yeah. like the normal rules. Yeah. But otherwise, it'd be the same. So, if you're in here and you're listening to this, since we got our, our man Seth, more localized Wichita, if you're in here in the Wichita area, um, comment on Facebook, get in the group, or comment down below on this YouTube video and let us know if you would be game to try something out like that and see where we see what we can do to get that rolling, which I'm not too worried about the, it filling up if we throw one up there because the, the tournaments around here get crazy full, up so crazy quick. fast, but... Anyhow, I think I think that's something we're definitely trying to do next season. So keep an eye out for that. We just got to get all the logistics figured out, and then uh, I guess we got to hit up Seth to get us to help us get it yep. get it running. But anyhow, let's jump to the ace. So, round. let's do it. Yeah, let's jump to the ace round, man. So this is going to be the same five questions. If you're if you're new to the podcast, same five questions we ask every guest, and uh, let's just get right into it, huh? Okay, so. First round, you are t- or the first first question of the Ace round. You are taking your brand new buddy out to the course, but first you stop in at the local duck shop. And what putter, mid range, and driver are you recommending? Getting the judge, they pick up?
1: the buzz, and the wraith in that order. There, there we go. Yep.
2: Love three it. different uh-huh.
0: brands this is what's fun about not having someone who's like right. oh i know i'm not sponsored by dynamic but i only throw dynamic discs you actually get a good variety yeah. of what you should be throwing and in i had to bag. think about
1: that before i said it but yeah i i'm not i'm not trilogy i'm not discraft i'm not i'm not uh, in of a uh open bag let's let's go
0: Awesome, I love Let's it. Mix it up. Second baby.
1: question we have for you: What is the
0: favorite course you have played? In one course you have not played yet that you'd like to, you know, cross off that bucket list of yours.
1: One, one more time. You kind of cut out there just for a split second.
0: Uh, one course that is your all-time favorite, and one course you haven't played that you really, 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 really man. Really, okay,
1: really want so to. being where it's where I started, Oak has got to be my favorite course, and then. Last year, one of the very beginning tournaments of the year, I played in that tournament out at Colwich. Man, I was blown Mm -hmm. away. I hadn't seen so many trees on a disc golf course in my life, but it was put together so well. Those guys out there, those guys out there that do all that work to keep that thing nice, man, that was that was impressive. So, I would have to say my favorite course in Wichita is probably Colwich, and I've only played it that one day in that tournament where me and you quentin we tied for six Uh uh-huh yeah yeah we did yeah we did
2: let's get out there the
0: uh golly i think my first round was just absolutely brutal and then i mean you've seen me so many times this year one round it's like damn this dude literally shot the best out of everyone and the next round it's like oh wow he's the worst one here (laughs) and (laughs) And literally that, that was one of those tournaments. Cause I remember I, on, it was like a par four, maybe the big par four, the dog leg left. And I threw it in from like two fifty out, but it was a skip shot. And Horatio was walking by the basket as I did that. So that was a nice little flex to be like, ah, ah, I look at this guy. Look at this. I'm coming for you. So yeah, that was good. Awesome. Love that That's course. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Uh, but the, the the course that I'd probably want to play and I'd probably do more laying up than I'd like, but man, I want to get up to Maple Hill up in Massachusetts. That just seems like a course that, I mean, it's at the top of the list, you know, for the nicest courses around, um, you know, why not go give it a shot if I had the chance to.
2: Yeah, man. Maple Hill is definitely towards the top for me. So that would be, that would be an epic course to play, but all right. For question number three, what is one tip you would tell your beginner self knowing what you know now?
1: Man, I think we kind of covered it earlier. Practice in all weather conditions. It will it'll do so much for you when it comes to uh, the tournament rounds you're playing in. You know, first first round might be raining and you have slick tee pads and then the second the second round. The sun's out for the, the back half of that first round. Everything's all dried up and it's, you know, you're back you're back to to life as normal. Um but yeah, practice in all weather conditions for sure. Yeah, I like that. Fourth question we've got for you. What is your favorite memory playing disc golf? Oh man. Well, just a couple of weeks ago I was able to snag an ace and it was on hole eighteen at Oak, and man, I've been I don't know how wow. I've hit that pole, hit that basket, hit the top band. I mean, so many times I've, I've, I've come close and uh, pulled out the old trusty halo T bird three. If I wouldn't hit the chains, it would have went way past the basket, but started off a little, right. Held that line for a minute and it started doing that dive left and man, it just pretty, pretty, pretty sweet feeling. And uh, I was playing the whole round by myself, but at that part, uh, the guys behind me, I had to wait before I teed off on 18. So the guys behind me kind of caught up. And then the guys that were just finishing 18 barely got off the green before I shot. So, um, had somewhat of a small gallery there to to witness. Nice. So it was a uh, cool.
2: heck. Heck yeah. I, I mean, it, everyone who's not from Wichita, that has to be the, uh, Has to be the most iconic hole in town, if you ask me. You got to throw the whole water carry what two seven two eight seventy five two eighty over water, yeah, something like that. And then I mean, yeah, that's got to be, got to be the most iconic hole in Wichita. Anyway, so that's a great one to get. All right, man. Here's go. Final question for you: What is the biggest mistake you see new players make,
1: man? Well, there's a couple of them getting too down on themselves when they throw a bad shot. You know, I see, I see guys that get really down on themselves. and I can, and I can see that it affects not only that throw, but their next several throws after that, you know, um, you know, have a, have a, have a mindset of, you know, being able to wipe that one away and then start fresh. Um, whether it's, you know, you got to talk to yourself, calm yourself down, whatever that is. Um, you know, just, just get yourself, get your head right. Cause it's, it's like, it's like a lot of things, mental, it's a lot of mental stuff that goes on with, uh, with disc golf. So don't let those down throws, uh, run your whole day. That's for sure. And I know we talked about this one again, but don't, don't throw too many discs. Don't, don't have too many types in your bag because, you know, say if you do have one firebird, you're throwing a good, but you lose it in the river. Now you have a Raptor. You're like, okay, well, I don't throw this one as much. Let me go ahead and try to throw this one just like I throw that one. And, you know, it's depending on what it is, it might be probably a little bit more straight, might be a little bit more stable. Um, so, yeah, you know, find your disc, get them in a couple different molds. May, might throw a little different for the most part. You know what you're getting every time you pull it out. So. Yeah, I like that. And and hopefully,
0: as time continues to go on, we'll be able to actually buy discs. You know, I'm a big fan of the, the Kristen Tatar Grace, and man. I don't know what's more valuable out there, gold bars or a Kristen Tatar Grace right now because they're <laughs> so hard to find at a decent price. Hey, Seth, this has been a fantastic episode. And if you want to learn more from Seth in the bonus, we're going to be talking a little bit of mental. We're going to continue to talk about tournaments. We've got some awesome stuff lined up in the bonus. Get an extra 10 to 15 minutes here and learn some more things and help support and grow this podcast over on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Seth, before we get out of here, where can people connect with you, learn more about your disc golf? journey
1: man you can find me on the course i'll be practicing um if you guys ever have any questions or anything or just want to throw around if i'm there man i have no no problem letting you all join in or whatnot we can go ahead and uh we can go ahead and figure this thing out together so um can't wait